Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. I trust that you have been safe uh, this weekend uh, with this winter weather. But, but I, I got to be honest with you, uh, I am actually enjoying the winter weather. You say, how could that be? Well, I want you to think about it. I'm 49 years old. When I was a child, and, and this is real talk, uh, uh, we did not get days off from school in advance of the snow. It didn't happen that way. There had to actually be snow on the ground before we would get a snow day. And then when there was snow on the ground, I'd listen to 1210 WCAU AM, and I'd wait to hear our number called. Does anybody remember when every school had a number? And you'd listen to... The on-air personality call out the number. And when they would say 309 for the Abington School District, I got excited. I automatically put on my winter clothes, went outside with the dog, and we we, we built snowmen and, and did all kinds of things in the snow. So I've got to be honest with you. I'm happy to see some snow. Uh, global warming is real, y'all. And, and it has deprived a lot of our young people of seeing what a real winter is all about. But that does not take away from the fact that we've got to be safe in this weather. We've got to be safe driving. And then, of course, when the temperatures get low, we've got to go check on our senior citizens. That's critical. I make that a priority uh, to check on my seniors when the weather gets cold. Uh, let's make sure that we're all staying safe, even as we enjoy uh, a little bit of the winter weather. Got a great show for you today. I'm glad you're here with us here in the pastor's office. Uh, in light of some of the things that have transpired, some of the tragic events uh, that have transpired here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and in New York, uh, I wanted to have a conversation today about fire safety, uh, about making sure that our homes, our buildings, our businesses uh, are safe, uh, are, that we have fire detectors in our properties to notify us that we're, we're not overcrowded in a building and, and, and potentially unable to escape, that there are areas of egress. We're going to talk about all of that here in our first segment today. And I'm very excited to have as our guest the... Executive Chief of the Philadelphia Fire Department. He works directly with Fire Commissioner Adam Teal. Uh, and I've watched them in action because they've actually done work with us here at Philly's Favor, with work with us here at Northeast Baptist Church. We've done vaccination clinics. We've done testing clinics. Uh, I've had a chance to sit and talk to them, and I know that this is an issue 
that they take very seriously. So I want to welcome into the pastor's office this afternoon uh, our good friend, the exec- executive chief of the Philadelphia Fire Department, Chief Derek Bomer. Chief, welcome into the pastor's office. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. Now, listen, first of all, I've got to offer it a, a disclaimer to our audience. Uh, <laughs> you and I know each other well. Uh, yes. I served as the international president of the greatest fraternity in all the land, uh, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, and you actually uh, worked as my deputy chief. You traveled the country with me. We delivered service from the East Coast to the West Coast and all parts in Absolutely. between. So, so. So I have to offer that disclaimer that as we talk today, there's a level of comfort because we know each other well. And most importantly, we're friends and brothers in Christ. So welcome into the pastor's office, Derek. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that to all your listeners. Thank you for having me today, and I hope we can have a great conversation today. Well, now, I'm not going to compensate you, but we can't have a conversation. How about I don't that? need that. You know, you know, I'm always got, always got you back there. Always. I got you, I got listen, listen, listen. It, first of all, I know that you made a career shift several years ago to move to the fire department. Tell our listeners a little bit about that shift you made and, and why you were drawn to the fire department. Thank you. So I uh, always wanted to be a firefighter. Um, uh, but uh, Janice Bomer had a different, uh, my mother, had a uh, different uh, conversation about that after I left high school. So um, she said, uh, boy, you're going to school. So I'm uh, glad I did. Never take that away. I wound up in uh, at Johnson & Wales University up in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, I love to eat. And Pastor Mason, you know, we love to eat. So um so we uh I think you know, we, I to, think we've probably tested steakhouses in about thirty we, of the fifty states. Absolutely. And, 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 absolutely. and, and wait a second, and then in Hawaii and the Bahamas too. So. Yes we did. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So I um I decided to go uh be a chef, okay, and uh made a career out of that. Uh, for about 10, 10 years, and uh, just my passion for the fire service just got a hold of me, and I told my mama at that time, um, I was 32 years old, and I was ready to go be, be a firefighter, so um, I dropped everything, all the degrees and all, all everything, all the training I had, and I went to uh, get my passion, so, uh, and here we are 19 years later, and I'm I'm in the fire service, loving every bit of it, every day, out here trying to help people, uh, you know, be safe in the city of Philadelphia. First of all, it is hard to believe it's been 19 years, man. I remember when you made the shift. I remember when you were getting in shape for the test. Uh, and, and, and now 19 years later, you sit as the executive chief, uh, as the right-hand man, as it were, uh, uh, to the to the Philadelphia Fire Commissioner, Adam Teal. Uh, you gotta, you got to first tell our audience what it's like to have made the shift and then worked your way up over 19 years to be in such an important position that impacts the lives of Philadelphians everywhere. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I just want to, uh, you know, always give a shout out to uh, Commissioner Teal. He is a, a inspiration, a mentor to me, um, and I was handpicked by him. So uh, just like you handpicked us as deputies, the same way I treat him just like I treated you while we travel. So uh, I got his back as always. But uh, he didn't just take, I mean, he watched me. And, and again, for the listeners, uh, Commissioner Teal is not from fire, uh, from Philadelphia Fire Department. He is he came from the outside, so he wasn't came up through the ranks through here. So uh, he has been a godsend to our department. I mean, he's brought brought fresh ideas, 
everything to our department that we really desperately needed. So I'm his right hand, and we've done some great things together, and uh, and we're, we're going to continue to do that. But uh, we we just it's just been a constant fight to to you know, and just trying to get up through the ranks. I'm very am- ambitious to do you know to get ahead, and and that's what I've been doing. So I've been taking those tests, those uh, those uh, promotional exams, and and all those things, so, and continue will continue to do that as long as God is allowing me to get up and have breath in my body. So that's it. It's just it's just a blessing that I'm able to do that. Chief Bomer, let's 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 pivot a bit now. Um, mm-hmm. There have been many times when I've heard on the news uh, that there was a major fire here in the city of Philadelphia, and I would immediately give you a, send you a text or. Uh, I didn't want to call because I would assume that uh, you were probably heading to the site. But you have not only been on site where, sadly, Philadelphians have lost their lives, but you've been on site where your fellow firefighters have lost their lives. And, And in light of what transpired just a few weeks ago in Fairmount section of Philadelphia, and, and you and I have had a chance to talk off air uh, a little bit about the importance of fire detectors and 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 just the importance of having your, your having your house in order. Talk to us about how we prevent these tragedies. What is it that you want to share uh, with our listeners? Let's start from A and go to Z. How do we prevent these tragedies? So, so we want to let all of our people know wherever the listeners are is to to ensure that. Uh, first of all, let me correct Pastor, Pastor Mason. I love him to death, but there's there there are smoke alarms. That's what we call them. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> smoke alarms can't detect the fire, but smoke alarms. But we want to ensure that uh, our Philadelphians are are safe in that manner. So we want to we want to. If you don't have a smoke alarm in the in the house, we want to ask you to call three one one, and 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 we will definitely get out there to uh, get those free smoke. To detectors to all the those who need them. But what I want to get the message out is is that we have a backlog of uh trying to uh you know take care of one point five million people in the city of Philadelphia. So uh we want to ensure that if you can't wait for us to get to you, then please go out to your local hardware store and, and purchase a smoke alarm and, and put them up. You know, we found that people have just buy them and they just kinda leave them out and don't put them up. That doesn't do us any good. We want to ensure that you have some type of protection and safety when that happens. Okay, so we want to go out and buy them. We'll get to you if you if you don't have it. Even if you have to call a local fire company to uh, ensure that we come and put them up. Some of our seniors, we we know you can't get up on the ladder. Some of them, some of you. So we want to ensure that you can call us, and uh, uh, and we'll come out and install them for you. But that's the most important thing today. We want you to have a fire safety plan. Okay, we want to ensure that you know if you're in a house with a lot of people, have an area to uh, when when those smoke alarms go off, have an area, a meeting area, or fire escape plan to get out, you know, uh, to get to a safe area outside of the house. And then also we want to ensure that we don't want people to fight these fires. Leave it to the professionals. You know, call if if, if a fire is happening in your house, call nine one one, get out, and then we'll take care of everything. So that's just you know in a you know in a small small condensed version of that you know we want to make sure that everybody is is uh, safe and in the house. Now here's what maybe some of our listeners did not know: if they call three one one, the fire department will schedule a time to bring a a smoke detector or a, a smoke detector and mm-hmm. also install it. Let, let I, I want to reiterate that. 
Take the opportunity if you don't have one. Call 311. Now, what's the turnaround time on that, Chief Bomer? I mean, I know it's not instantaneous. You got a lot going on, but how quickly will, do you typically uh, get to a Philadelphian's house? So we're, we're about we're about 30 days behind, only because of COVID. Uh, we wanted to make sure everyone was safe. So um, we're about 30 days behind. So we're we're slowly and, and quickly, I mean, I'm saying quickly now, out in the neighborhoods. We have a lot of programs going on, a lot of pro, uh, pro, uh, partners out here that are helping us install these smoke detectors. So about 30 days past it, uh, trying to get this list down to uh, zero. Now, now the other thing, let's, let's talk about prevention. Okay, we, we understand that we can put the smoke detectors up uh, to be notified or alerted that there's an issue, but let's talk about prevention. Uh, one of the things that I keep hearing about, Chief uh, Balmer, uh, are these portable heaters, uh, that yes. people leave in their houses. Talk, talk to talk to our Phillies' favorite audience about that a little bit, please. Absolutely. So we understand. No times are tough. Uh, uh, I just want to give a, a few stats, if I can, Pastor Mason. Sure. So last year we had, you know, I know we had this tragedy on uh, in Fairmount uh, this year, but I want the listeners to know that we had thirty six people that died in a fire last year. Two hundred and fifty one people were injured. And 2,200 people were displaced for fire last year alone. Those numbers are just unreal. Philadelphia is an old city, and we deal with some of the uh, the most uh, unusual, I say unusual, construction of what we deal with here in Philadelphia. And uh, unlike, uh, just like us here, Boston is the same way. And we just had a tragedy in Baltimore a couple of days ago where we lost some firefighters. There aren't many cities that are, are shaped like Philadelphia. So we deal with those, those type of uh, obstacles when we're in, in, in houses fighting fire. But we want to ensure that going back to the heaters, we, want, we know people have to keep warm. And these houses are old, so every little crack, nook and cranny, there's some air coming in or some, some cold air coming in. So we're asking everyone, if you have to use a, a, a heater, we want to ensure that it's plugged directly into the wall. Okay, that's the first thing. We ask for three feet distance around the whole heater to keep away from curtains, uh, walls, uh, couches. Those things automatically heat up, and if you knock them down, they may cut off. But if they're right directly next to a fabric or something, those they could catch on fire. So we want to ensure that all around the heater, it's clear. And then and if you have to go to bed and you're not in that room actually watching it, we ask that you unplug it. So... Look, we want to make sure everybody is kept warm here. Um, so if you have to use them, please follow those instructions. Now, now here's something else that we hear about around Christmas time. It's these Christmas trees, Christmas mm -hmm. lights. How does that become a fire hazard? So it's not the lights. So the lights are what we tell everyone is, is how it's the treatment of the tree. So we know that a tree is not, it's, can't be uh, safe inside. So it's, it's a shelf life on the tree. So when we first put the tree in, we have a, a fire prevention uh, activity that we show you how to cut the tree. And then we want to ensure that it's, it's left in water and for a long period of time, as long as that tree. Those trees normally last about three weeks. And then after that, they start drying out, no matter how much water you had in them. So most lights that 
that you buy for a Christmas tree, they they don't they don't heat up. It's just the treatment of the tree and how you uh, keep it prepared. So that's what catches on fire and the dryness of the tree. People have heat coming in on the tree. You have maybe some of these heaters. So we want to ensure that you uh, keep keep everything away from the tree and enjoy uh, Christmas time. But throw the tree out at when it's time. And we have a great partnership with the streets department here. They will take that tree away, and, and it doesn't have to sit outside for long. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. We are talking today about fire prevention, about safety, uh, with Executive Chief Derek Bomer of the Philadelphia Fire Department, right-hand man to uh, Fire Commissioner Adam Teal. Uh, you know, before we pivot, because there's one other thing I do want to talk to you about before we let you go, what other things should we be on the lookout for? What other things, what other hazards are there that we can easily avoid if we just know about them and act on them uh, that will prevent fires? So, again, I want to reiterate, uh, smoke alarms, smoke detectors in the house, um, uh, we want to ensure that they're up. Uh, I, I just want to explain how these smoke alarms work. They're a 10-year battery, an ion-lithium battery. You don't even have to change the battery, but knowing machinery, and, and we don't guarantee them to last 10 years, but uh, they say it lasts 10 years, but we always ask you to test them. There's a button on there that you test the smoke alarm, okay? Um, and, and so just don't take for granted that they're worth, you know, 10 years. We want to ensure that you're checking them and you're, and you're ensuring that your, your house is safe on that way. We ask that people don't open the oven. Or, or turn on the burners. I, I know growing up, you know, Grandma used to turn that burner on and keep that whole house clear. But we want to ensure that if you're in the room and you have to do that, again, we don't condone that, but and everybody has to keep warm. Just just monitor that, okay? The, the third thing I want to talk about is, you know, a lot of folks in Philadelphia may have chimneys or, uh, or fireplaces. Ensure that your, your, your chimney or your uh, fireplace is cleaned out of all the soot and everything that's in there. And then when you light your your fire your fireplace ensure that your flute which is up top is open because we have a lot of those uh those fires also so um so many things you could talk about that are fire hazards in the house but those are some of the things that we we're asking people during the winter time to take care of and take heed to well listen man uh, before i let you go uh, I want to I want to also let our listeners know that you also do work with the office of uh, that also falls on the fire part of the office of emergency management here in the city. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. And and you and your team, uh, uh, Commissioner Teal, yourself, your team have done an outstanding job uh, of getting vaccine into the arms of Philadelphians all over. Uh, I know this has been a journey for you. You and I have talked hours about it, uh, but I just want to tell you, and please share this with the commissioner, thank you for the work that you all have done to save the lives of Philadelphians during this pandemic. Thank you. We appreciate it. And our work is not done. Uh, we always ask everybody, please get vaccinated, get boosted, get everything. The only way this uh, this pandemic ends is that if we all take heed and, and do what we have to do. So thank you. All right. Well, listen, thank you for dropping in the pastor's office. You used to be in the president's office. Now you're in the pastor's <laughs> office. I'm all right. Uh, but I got it, your back all the time. But it all remains that. the same. And guess what? Jonathan Jr. won his first wrestling match, man. I'm so oh, pumped. Oh, that's good. Oh, man, we knew he would. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Executive okay. Chief Derek Bomer, Philadelphia Fire Department. Thank you, my brother. Keep on pressing it. We'll keep it. praying for you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Have a good day. 
Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. And I want to again thank Executive Chief Derek Bomer of the Philadelphia Fire Department uh, for being with us in our first session, our first segment, uh, to talk about fire safety. Please, please, please uh, pay attention to what he shared and act on it. I want to pivot now and talk to you a little bit about redistricting. Uh, and and in order to have that conversation, uh, I want to welcome into the pastor's office for the first time, uh, State Senator Maria Colette. And let me say this, she represents Bucks and Montgomery County. Now, now I, I got to say this, I am a proud Abington galloping ghost, uh, uh, born and raised in Roslyn, and I still go there several times a week to see my mama because the house is still standing on Coolidge Avenue. So I'm actually excited to have you at the pastor's office. State Senator Collette, welcome. Oh, well, thank you, Pastor Mason. I'm really excited to be here, and I, I share your enthusiasm for Bucks and Montgomery counties. They're, the, they're wonderful places. Listen, I, I, the, the only time I have an issue with areas you represent is when we say Bucks County because CB West and CB East <laughs> were our enemies on the football field and the wrestling mat. But in my senior year, we defeated them soundly, so I'm okay. It's all right. I, I forgive it. It's all right. <laughs> Well, that's right. Perfect. Listen, that's right. That's right. We're good to go. Listen, again, thank you for your time uh, and coming in. I I wanted to talk about this issue of redistricting because we hear it a lot on the news. We we read about it a lot in the papers and online, but a lot of people really still don't understand what redistricting is and ultimately how redistricting impacts them, how it impacts their daily lives. Uh, I wanted to talk about that with you today and then talk about what's going on here in Pennsylvania. First and foremost, please share with our Philly's favorite listeners, what is redistricting? Yeah, it's a really important process. And here in Pennsylvania, the map for federal and state legislative seats. So those are the folks that go to Washington, D.C. on our behalf and uh, the ones that go up to Harrisburg on our behalf. Every 10 years, we draw new maps, and that happens in our state capital through various processes. Uh, and it's based on the census data, and that's why it falls every 10 years. We just had our census in 2020, and now we're working on uh, redistricting, drawing those new state lines uh, to make sure that we are representative in our state capital and in Washington of the population shift. We've seen a lot of growth here in the southeast population-wise, people moving in and out, and we've seen some population decline in the more rural parts of our state. And so redistricting, redrawing those district lines, means that we are acting in the best interest of all of the voters of Pennsylvania and all of the people of Pennsylvania, really, to make sure that we have fair representation in our state capital and in Washington, D.C. on our behalf. So, so that all sounds wonderful, but why does it become such a pivotal issue? Why does it become such a controversial issue? Why does redistricting cause log jams in the legislature? Yeah, and you're right. It does sound like it should be a real kumbaya moment Absolutely. for all of us, right? 
but unfortunately, and I'm sure, you know, your listeners have heard the term gerrymandering. It's when uh, districts are drawn to favor uh, a political party or disfavor a political party to nullify votes. And, uh, you know, Pennsylvania has historically been one of the worst offenders of political gerrymandering. In 2016, there were researchers at the Election Integrity Project, and they ranked Pennsylvania as the third worst in the nation. So we've all sort of heard those analogies of a congressional district that was drawn and resembled, uh, you know, Goofy kicking Donald Duck because it was so strangely and haphazardly drawn. That's what we're talking about when we talk about gerrymandering. And so what happens when we go into our redistricting process is uh, the legislature is involved. And uh, just by its very nature, the legislature is partisan. Uh, I'm a member of the Democratic Party. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle are looking to make sure that their um, uh, constituents that are are Republican-leaning have proper representation, just like I want to make sure that, um, you know, people in our area have proper representation. And oftentimes that ends up with uh, partisan politics sort of taking over what really should be a pretty straightforward process. And so it it tends to be fraught with, um, you know, real problems. And that's why we are seeing what we're seeing even now. I know you and I are going to get into it a little bit more, but the courts cannot uh, stay out of the process because we need a guiding hand. We need, um, you know, a third party here to come and help us make sure that we're drawing districts that are fair to the people of Pennsylvania and, and really fair to what our Commonwealth wants to accomplish. And, and, and Senator Collette, you're absolutely right. We're going to get into what's going on in Pennsylvania, but I want to do I want to ask one more question to give us context before we go there. You shared earlier that 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 redistricting is based on the census. The census is black and white. And I don't mean that literally. I mean it figuratively. But but it's black and white. How can it be misinterpreted? How can it then become an issue of partisan politics if it's all based on numbers, figures and facts? Well, it's a great question. And, you know, the only thing I'm going to take issue with is the fact that uh, what we saw in 2020 when our former president, President Trump, was in office, actually leading into the 2020 census, is that there were a lot of issues around the census, things that were put in place uh, to scare people from participating in the census. I remember and, then that. When we, and, and that's why, you know, maybe the data that comes out of it isn't necessarily black and white. But you're right. On principle, it really should be. And so... Uh, the, the partisanship, it just sort of gets in the way because there are different um, parameters that we are looking at constitutionally to make sure that we're drawing a good map. We've got to make sure we're not having too many county or municipal splits. And those are when you see, uh, for example, in the district I currently represent, I have the Montgomery uh, County side of Telford, but not the Buck side of Telford. Telford's a small borough. There's no reason it should be split among two Senate districts, but it is. And so uh, one of the things that we've got to be careful of is how many splits do we have? How many communities of interest are we breaking up? And then, of course, as you know, when we get people involved in the process, it always tends to be flawed. And uh, there is a lot of incumbent protection that's looked at. And that's when we're looking at, you know, who is currently sitting in that office and what can we do to protect him or her, make sure that he or she continues to win that district. It absolutely should not be a factor, unfortunately, often it becomes one when they sit down at the table to redraw these districts. All right. So Philly's favorite listeners, listen. Now, Senator Collette has laid it out for you. All right. 
the the legislature is responsible for for developing these maps based on census data. Now, let's talk about Pennsylvania. Uh, on the, eight, the week of the 18th or the 18th, new maps came out of the House and moved to the Senate. Uh, the courts wanted those new maps by the 24th uh, of January. Uh, Senator Collette, I'm going to stop right there. You're in the Senate. Tell us what happened. Well, I want to be clear, too, that there are two different processes. For our congressional maps, uh, the members of the state government committee, of which I am a, a part, uh, we do the map drawing and the map voting, and it passes just like a bill. It's voted on by the House. The Senate goes up to the governor uh, to either be signed into law or vetoed. For the legislative side, and those are the folks that go up to Harrisburg, there's a whole separate redistricting commission, and that's five members that are appointed, two from the majority party, two from the minority party, and then a fifth member that's appointed by uh, the Supreme Court. So what happened for us here is there was a House uh, map that was advanced in state government, and that was a congressional map. And that map was voted on along party lines, unfortunately, because it didn't really reflect the changes that we have seen in our district. In fact, the map that was advanced only uh, matched one criteria that really is among the criteria that we look at when we're drawing these, and that is that every single congressional district that was drawn had the exact same number of people. Now, while in theory that's a really, um, you know, great uh, idea, we know that that that's sort of a, 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 one of the parameters that we look to, but we can't do that to the exclusion of communities of interest, of making sure that we're not having too many municipal and county splits. So that map advanced along party lines. Same thing, it went into the Senate and was voted on along party lines, and the governor um, is, it vetoed that map because it's not reflective of the changes we have seen in the demographics of this Commonwealth. And so we are looking to the Commonwealth Court. That's one step below our Supreme Court here in Pennsylvania. Uh, the Commonwealth Court has said, hey, we want to see maps uh, from interested parties, and, and since you guys couldn't come to a decision, we're going to pick the map. So that's where we're sort of sitting right now, trying to figure out what kind of congressional map we're going to see come out of that Commonwealth Court decision and whether or not we're going to have to appeal to the Supreme Court to make sure that fairness and integrity are are uh, you know truly represented in the map? So crazy question, uh, and you you've, you've eloquently and and very clearly outlined the process for us, and and certainly those individuals that have been tasked with this, uh, there's a history of this being done in the legislature. Uh, who in the court system is an expert on drawn maps? Oh, my goodness. What a great question. And that's part of our problem here. You know, we have this case that's pending before the Commonwealth Court, and the Commonwealth Court allowed uh, motions to intervene. And, and that's really when an interested party, a party that has a stake here, um, is able to make a motion and say, wait, 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 I want to be part of the process, even though I'm not a party to the case. I'm not one of the defendants or the plaintiffs, but I do have an interest in the outcome, and therefore I'd like to be uh, able to intervene. And those motions were granted, and uh, as part of the granting of those motions, the Commonwealth Court said everyone who was granted intervener status is allowed to submit maps 
for review to the court. So we ended up with 13 maps that came before the Commonwealth Court. The Philadelphia Inquirer did a really wonderful analysis of, uh, you know, those maps and, and how partisan leaning they are, how many municipal splits they have. Do they, in fact, keep communities of interest together? Those kinds of things. But as of yet, we're still waiting on the Commonwealth Court to tell us which of those 13 maps they believe to be representative of the the way that our Commonwealth has shifted over the last 10 years in terms of population and demographics. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm getting this. I'm getting an education today, and I really do appreciate it. And I pray our listeners are getting the same education. So now the court, and let me, let me just, let me just share this. The legislature did not come up with maps. They, the partisan politics, it just didn't happen. It's now with the courts. How long does the court normally take to make these decisions? Well, it's my understanding that the court intends to make a decision by the end of this month, January. Okay. So okay. that's my understanding. Of course, as we all know, the court does what the court wants to do. <laughs> and, and Absolutely. will take as long as they need to. But one of the things I want to make sure that your listeners are really keenly aware of is we have a primary date that is set by the Constitution. And as of yet, there has been no um, path for moving that primary date. And that means that the longer the court takes to decide what these districts are going to look like, the closer we get to that primary date. That pushes the timeline off for everything, and it really makes it even more difficult for the candidates who want to run in those districts to make a really strong push to the voters of those districts that as to why they should be uh, the congressperson for that area. And so we're really treading here, in, in my opinion, on some really sacred ground. This is the ability of our, our democracy to work unfettered. And we are getting into a place where that's not going to happen if we are pushed up against uh, a timeline of having a primary in May, despite not having actual districts available to us until February or March. That's, that's a really difficult timeline for a candidate to work with, to appeal, and for voters, frankly, to make the decision on who they think is best to represent them. But Senator Collette, if I'm, if I'm in the majority, mm-hmm. if I'm in the majority and these timelines are squeezed in this manner, this actually probably works in my favor. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so again, it goes back to the politics of it all. And the people that we elect to office, are they really there to represent the people or to represent the interest of their party? Uh, and and that's, that, that's the question that, uh, unfortunately, we got to keep asking ourselves because this is, this is a very challenging situation. The primary is the third week of May. It's already February for all intents and purposes. Yeah, and it is a painful question that you ask, and and that's really something that we're we're grappling with in our state legislature. Who are the people in our majority? Because as we all know, we've heard it over and over. They really control the movement of things in our legislature. Who are they there to represent? Are they there for party? Are they there for people? Are they there for the good of the Commonwealth? And, and that's really something that we're, we're struggling to, to try to understand. I will be really candid with you and with your listeners. Uh, it, you know, our Republican majority in the state legislature has made no move to have discussions about moving that primary date. And in fact, uh, the leader in the House, the Republican leader in the House has stated that, um, as far as he's concerned, precedent for uh, legislators to run under their old existing lines already exist, 
and therefore there is no sense of urgency here. And I can't impress upon you enough how disappointing, I'm sure I don't have to tell you how incredibly disappointing it is to hear that kind of sentiment coming from uh, a leadership, a person in leadership. This is supposed to be in service to the people of the Commonwealth, not in service to party, not in service to incumbency, certainly not in service to to yourself. This is in service. We're supposed to be here in service to the people of the Commonwealth. And and to make a statement like that, that really does um, impact in a negative way the outcome of these elections and the outcome of the will of the people long term is just devastating. And it's not something we can abide. So I'm going to ask your listeners to do something. Pick up the phone, call your legislators, uh, call uh, everyone in Harrisburg and tell them you want somebody to consider moving the primary date. We have got to discuss this, and we've got to talk about it like grown-ups and not throw back partisan politics and uh, name-calling. Well, Senator Coletta, I want to thank you uh, for joining us here today and giving us such a great lesson on redistricting. Uh, anybody that listened to this interview and has walked away, uh, they have a clear understanding of why this is so important uh, and why we need to be actively engaged in the process. Uh, that's why we call it a democracy, because we have a voice. Uh, and, and when you see people taking your vote and, and taking their, their representation of you for granted, uh, it's up to the people to step up and make a difference. So I I absolutely endorse what Senator Coletta said. Call your representative. Call your House representative, your Senate representative. Call whomever you need to call uh, and, and encourage them to move the primary, but also encourage them to put the people first. Uh, absolutely. Stand up and speak out. Thank you so much, Pastor Mason. I really appreciate your time today. Listen, thank you for being on the show. And anytime that you can use these airwaves to get your message across, we're right here for you. Be blessed. You too. Thank you. Hey, Philly's favorite. Welcome back to the pastor's office. I I typically just do the interviews and I, um, I close out the show, but I wanted to talk to you today. I wanted to talk to you. You know, I've been pastoring now since 2014, 2015, actually. Uh, I was interim and then pastor in 2015. Um, And over the last few weeks, I've never had to preach so many funerals in a short period of time. It caused me to to think, uh, just, just last week I had to preach the funeral of my beloved associate minister. Uh, and I want to say her name because she deserves her name to be shared. Uh, Reverend Sarah Gertrude Hyman. I had the awesome task of preaching her funeral last Saturday. But prior to that, uh, in just a few-day period, there were three other funerals that I had to preach. And it caused me to think about the temporary nature of life. We preach about it. We teach about it. But sometimes it doesn't become real to us until we actually live it. In the case of Reverend Hyman, I had spoken to her the day before she passed away. We laughed. We talked about what we were going to do at church, how she was going to get well and come back and help. And then the next day she went to her eternal rest. What are you saying, Pastor Mason? Let me tell you what I'm saying. Learn to love on people while they're still here. 
Learn to love on people when and while they can still hear you say, I love you. While they can still feel your hug. Learn to appreciate people while they're still in your presence. Life is temporary, my brothers and sisters. Life is temporary. I'd give anything to be able to talk to Reverend Hyman one more time. She was a praying mother. I'd give anything to hear her pray just one more time. I'd give anything to hear her sing, yes, Jesus loves me. Just one more time. But now I have to rely on memories. I have to rely on the video clips that we may have of her. But, but each of you has a Reverend Sarah in your life. Could be your auntie, your uncle, your cousin, whomever it is. Know this. We've all got an appointment with our final day. When that final day comes, we need to be ready, first and foremost. That's what I preach every day and every, every time I, I get an opportunity. We've got to be ready, meaning we've got to be in tune with Christ. Have we accepted him as our personal Savior? But we also got to be ready in another way. Let's make sure our relationships are together. Let's make sure our relationships are together. Some folk been mad at each other so long they don't even remember what they're mad about. And at the end of the day, is it all worth it? Now, seriously, is it all worth it? I challenge you today, any of you that are listening, if you've got aught with a family member, a neighbor, a relative, you know what? Be the bigger person. Call them up and talk to them today. You apologize. Put pride aside. Get your relationships in order. Life's temporary. Love on folk while they're here. And then watch this. If you love on them while they're here, you don't have to act like you're going to jump in the grave with them when they're gone. I'm out. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. I love you. Be good and be good to each other. We'll see you right back here next Sunday in the pastor's office. Son.